With that, I give you Karen G. from Los Angeles, California. I'm Karen G. I'm an alcoholic. It's through the grace of God and the power of Alcoholics Anonymous that I've been sober since May 30th, 1982. And, uh, that doesn't make me a miracle. It makes Alcoholics Anonymous a miracle. And my home group is the Pacific Group in West Los Angeles, California, a group I'm very, very proud to be a member, just as I'm sure you're proud to be a member of yours. And I guess if you're not proud, you ought to get a job and you might change your mind. I certainly have a job in mind on Wednesday night, and I'm proud to have that job. And, um, if you're new in this room this morning, I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous and I always call it God's Magnificent AA, the program that saved my life and it's going to save yours too if you want to take a few quick actions. And I suggest strongly that you get a sponsor, that you get that book Alcoholics Anonymous and you get busy and do what everybody else is doing around here and you're going to stay sober as so I've stayed sober for 14 years and people like me cannot stay sober, I can guarantee you. You know, I want to thank Jenny and the committee for inviting me to come out and share my life with you this morning. This is an honor and a privilege. It's one that I do not take lightly, I'll guarantee you. You guys, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I really do. And I think that it shows. And I make an awful lot of mistakes and do an awful lot of things wrong. But I'll tell you one thing, that I love you. Make no mistake about that. I want to thank Wendy, my beautiful hostess here, for picking me up from the airport. And her, her dad came too. And her mom, Sally, for taking me shopping on Friday afternoon. I, they forced me to buy a new dress. I didn't want to, but they forced me to buy one. Yeah. And I've had a wonderful time here and stuff. And, you know, I'll tell you what, my dear friend Scott's here from Bellevue, Nebraska, and I've known Scott for many, many years. And, you know, our speakers this weekend have been spectacular, you guys. They really have. I don't know why the hell I'm even here this morning, if you want to know the truth. But, um, I think this committee has done one hell of a job, and they certainly deserve another round of applause, i got to tell you guys. You know, I've been taught to do an awful lot of things before I ever wrote my big mouth, and one thing is to talk to my sponsor, and Clancy sends you his love and very best wishes this morning. I talked to my sponsor about an hour ago, and, and I said, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, furthermore, why are you calling me at 5.30 in the goddamn morning, you know? And, uh, I said, I just wanted to say hi. He said, did you forget we have a time change? And I said, no, not really, you know? And, uh, I said, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, oh, quit trying to be cute. Get up there and share your experience, your strength, and your hope, and those people what it was like what happened what it's like now ignore the old timers they got her they don't need your inspiration my dear and and uh, talk directly to those new people the life and blood of they and i believe as i stand here this morning i welcome you and i hope that you stay and you know i think i did without a doubt the most important thing i can ever do and that's to say god please help me say what you want me to say to these people god is very much a part of my life here this morning and it did not used to be that way for me i can guarantee it you know as i said earlier my sobriety date is may 30th 1982 it wasn't always my sobriety date and I had to change that sobriety date, and uh, I'm one of these people that go out and smoke dope when I got sober, and, you know, if you're smoking marijuana in this room here today, i got to tell you, you are not sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, i got to tell you, and, and uh, that's uh, just my opinion, but it happens to be the opinion of many people, i got to tell you, and, and I got my current sponsor, and, and we started talking about this, and, you know, where I come from in Lincoln, Nebraska, you can have two sobriety dates, one from alcohol and one from drugs, and it wasn't like I was lying about it. You know, where Scott's from, that's not true, but where I'm from in Lincoln, that is true. And, and uh, he said, well, you're not in Nebraska, you're in California, and we have one sobriety date here. Change your sobriety date. And I was such a smartass when I got Clancy for a sponsor, and I said, where does the book mention pot? And he said, it does mention pot. And he said, if it mentions pot, you're going to change your sobriety date. And, and I had read the big book, you guys, and I knew it did not mention marijuana. And I, so I made a pact with the devil, and I knew I was making a bad deal, i got to tell you. And, and he flipped open the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll be damned on the first page of Bill Wilson's story. It says, died by musket or by pot. And, uh, 
And I pointed out to my sponsor, that is not what that means. He said, I don't give a damn what it means. You said the book did mention pot changer sobriety day. Don't ever argue with me again. <laughs> he said, it also mentions people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. You want to talk about that too? Well, I didn't. I changed my sobriety date. <laughs> and I got to tell you that my life is flourished as a result of that. I got to tell you guys. But anyway, if anybody's wondering why I have a man for a sponsor and why I got Clancy for a sponsor, it's really quite simple. I didn't get sober in California. I got sober in a place called Lincoln, Nebraska, which used to be the number one football team in the nation. I used to always say that during my talk, and I had to change this, this fall because we got beat by Arizona State and stuff, and it really pissed me off, if you want to know the truth. And, and, uh, but, you know, Ohio State may lose, you guys. They just may lose, you know. They may be number one and stuff. But we won last night, and so did you, I know. But uh, anyway... You know, I, I was not doing well in Alcoholics Anonymous in Nebraska. I went through 19 sponsors at a rapid clip, and I'm certainly not proud of this as I stand here this morning. And, and thank God for the old-timers in AA because somebody loved me enough to get in my current sponsor. And i got to tell you that my life is to nothing but totally complete turnaround as a result of that. And I absolutely adore the ground that that man walks on, i got to tell you. And, you know, there's a lot of people in AA that don't like my sponsor, and I feel sorry for him. I really do. They do not know the Clancy that I know. The man has gone the whole 90 yards with me, let me tell you. And I don't know what I would have done without him at one time in my life, i got to tell you. And, you know, every time I think about him, you know, we have a real love-hate relationship, i got to tell you. Sometimes I hate my sponsor, and most of the time I love him and stuff. And I think that's the way it should be, I guess, in Alcoholics Anonymous. But if you don't have a sponsor that you love, I suggest you get one that you do, you know, because you don't know what you're missing and stuff. But anyway, you guys, the day I got sober, I weighed 95 pounds. I was the color of squash. I had an alcoholic hepatitis. I had a liver cirrhosis. I had rupture esophageal varices and if you don't know what that stuff is you don't want it is because you die from that kind of stuff and I was standing on Skid Row in Lincoln Nebraska sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog and if you guys haven't drank Mad Dog I need to tell you it's not one of your finer wines I can assure you uh, I'll guarantee you one thing that crap has never seen a grape make no mistake about that and, and I, I literally could not believe what's going on in my life I'd lost my children I lost my husband twice although I really care about that I want you to know uh, I'd lost my car, I'd lost my house, I'd destroyed every relationship I'd ever had with anybody, and I was clearly dying from this disease. And then I lost the one thing that brought my knees in alcoholism, I lost my nursing license. And you guys, I love my profession, and that absolutely devastated me, but not stop me from drinking. And there's a reason for that, and it's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because I have an obsession that somehow, someday, I will learn to control and enjoy my drinking. The persistent illusion is astonishing, many of us pursue in the gates of insanity and death. And I'll guarantee you one thing, I was in the gates of insanity I got sober and almost into my coffin. And I'm truly great to stand here 14 years sober this morning because I really should be dead, you guys. And I'm not kidding, as you'll soon hear about and stuff. And, you know, I come from a wonderful home there in Nebraska, and I want you to know that. And my mother wanted you to know it, too, I'll guarantee you that. I had a, a beautiful, sophisticated, elegant mother that died three years ago. And I miss my mom so much I cannot begin to tell you guys. And, you know, I'll tell you, you only got one. And when they're gone, they're gone, let me tell you. And... I made my amends to her many, many years ago. We had a beautiful relationship the last 10 years of her life, and she was always so proud her daughter was 10 years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous when she died. Although she did not believe I was an alcoholic the day she died, if you want to know the truth, she thought I was having a few problems, and I sure as hell was, i got to tell you. But, you know, what I miss about my mom the most is I used to always call her, and I'd go speak anywhere, and, and she'd say, why do you have to get up there and tell those people all that stuff about you? They're not going to like you. And I'd always say, Mom, the rotter you are in Alcoholics Anonymous, the more people love you. And, and she'd say, well, I don't understand that. And I'd say, well, you don't have to understand it. And she'd say, and don't tell those people that you're afraid because they don't like people that are afraid. And I'd always say, Mom, the more afraid you are in Alcoholics Anonymous, the more people love you. And one more time, she'd say, I don't get it. And why would she get it, you guys? She wasn't an alcoholic. And 
And she'd always end up by saying to me, I'm going to tell you something, young lady. You come from good stock, and we don't air our dirty laundry in public. And uh, I'd always say, Mom, it's not dirty anymore. And she didn't understand that either. But like I said, she loved you guys, let me tell you. And I come from an alcoholic home, and I don't think that's neither here nor there. I don't do well with people that stand AA podiums and blame anybody for anything. And, and my father died from this disease on the streets of Chicago in 1979. And you tell me how a major in the Air Force dies on Skid Row. And how that happened, other than the fact that he was an alcoholic, and whether or not he ever found A or not, I do not know. I just know that he certainly did not stay sober as a result of it. And you know, one more time here this morning, this is a cunning, baffling, powerful disease that kills people. This is not a game I'm playing up here. This is serious business, and I would give anything in the world if my father were alive, because we would have one hell of a lot to talk about, I can tell you. I have a sister who is Miss Rara in high school and homecoming queen and cheerleading and all that kind of crap and made straight A's and never cracked a book and I made straight F's and never cracked a book and that was the difference. Oh. My sister was a beautiful little girl. She's a gorgeous woman today. She looks nothing like I do, I got to tell you. And she was a model for many, many years for Neiman Marcus in Dallas, Texas and retired here recently. Now she's teaching school in the West Indies. And I got to tell you guys, it is a direct result of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love my sister very, very much today. And I recently found out something about her. She's also very beautiful on the inside, too, and I never used to know that. I have a brother who's a pilot in the Navy in Spain who just got home from Operation Desert Storm not too long ago, who was in that first attack over there, and I am so grateful that that war is over. You have no idea. Neither one of these people are alcoholic. I have another sister who's married to the public defender in Lincoln, Nebraska, who got me out of one hell of a bunch of trouble when I got sober, and, and, I, and I'm welcome their home staying. I never used to be. I come from basically a very boring family, if you want to know the truth. They're highly successful people, and they bore me to tears, i got to tell you guys. I have a couple kids who are 37 and 38 years old, and I know I certainly don't old enough to have kids at age, but by God, I sure do. And, and uh, this is where it really starts getting interesting for me. These kids are anything but boring, i got to tell you guys. As a matter of fact, they're a couple of jerks, if you want to know the truth. You know, you know, I love my kids very, very much. Please don't get me wrong, but they are indeed a couple of jerks. And my oldest son's an alcoholic, and I know our book says we don't call other people an alcoholic, but I'll call him one if I want to, because he is one. And, and uh, got picked up for his number ninth drunk driving charge, and one more time he's gotten out of it, and never ceases to amaze me the crap that we get away with. And I know I'm the last person in the world that can help that kid. I can just be an example to him and keep my mouth shut, and that's what I try and do. I have another son who I not believe was an alcoholic or had a problem with drugs or anything until a year ago last April, and I was back in Nebraska speaking in Lincoln at a conference that I helped start 10 years ago, and they asked me to come home and be their Sunday morning speaker and stuff, and, and I thought, well, I'm not going to tell my kids I'm coming home. I'm just going to surprise them. Don't ever tell your kids you're not coming home, you guys. And I walked to my oldest son's home at midnight on a Friday night, and my youngest son was there at midnight with sunglasses on. And he was a mess, let me tell you guys. And his wife had kicked him out of the house. And this kid had been shooting crystal meth for about a year. And I didn't even recognize my own child, i got to tell you. And, you know, that drug will suck you dry in short order, i got to tell you. And I found my son sobbing in my lap. And he said, Mom, I need some help. And I thought, well, you sure as hell do, i got to tell you. And I know I'm the last person in the world that can help him. And I called my sponsor long distance. And Clancy told me, he said, get him a phone number and back out of it right this minute. And I really don't know anybody in N.A. there in Nebraska because I'm not a member of Narcotics Anonymous, but I went back to this conference that I was speaking at, and I found this kid that my son went to junior high with, and, and he was nine years sober in A.A., in addition to being a member of Narcotics Anonymous there in Nebraska, and I'm happy to report here this morning that my son is a year and a half sober in Narcotics Anonymous in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. With a sponsor and everything, I just can't believe it and stuff. And, and, you know, I am truly grateful, you guys, and I wish his brother would pay attention, but I guess it's not time for that. And, yeah, and stuff. all I can do is pray for him. But anyway, I used to just think this youngest son of mine was goofy, and I'll tell you why. I 
got a phone call from him about nine years ago in L.A., and he said, Mom, I'm getting married tomorrow. And I thought, getting married tomorrow? It was a surprise to me that anybody would even have him if you want to know the truth. And, and I said, Jeff, why do you call me the day before the wedding? Expect me to be back in Nebraska. I said, the Pope's in Los Angeles. I doubt if I can get a flight out of here. And he said, Mom, I don't expect you to come. It's just going to be a tiny little wedding. Don't worry about coming. Well, you don't tell people like me that stuff. I wanted to be there, and I was right about that. The planes were just jammed and stuff, and I was just in a twit. You have no idea. And, and I talked to my sponsor about it, and this is the kind of loving direction I give for my AA sponsor. He said, well, what the hell are you going to do? Walk? If you can't go, you can't go. Now shut up about it. I don't want to hear another word about it. And, and I did, and I talked to my mom the day after the wedding, and I said, Mom, had the wedding going? She said, it was very lovely, but who was that little girl with them? And I said, what little girl? And she said, well, apparently Jeff's got a four-year-old daughter that you don't know anything about, and I suggest you call your son and talk to him about it. And I need to tell him, and I need to tell you guys that I was more than happy to do that, make no mistake about that. And, and I called Nebraska, and I said, Jeff, how'd the wedding going? He said, it was very nice, Mom. And I said, who is that little girl with you guys? And he said, Mom, that's my daughter. And I said, why didn't you tell me that I had a grandbaby? I was so upset with him. Not because I had a grandbaby, because I didn't know about it. And he said, Mom, I was afraid you'd get drunk. And I thought, get drunk? I wouldn't have gotten drunk. At least I don't think I would have. And I was on the first thing smoking out of Los Angeles. You know, meet my little granddaughter. And I got to tell you guys that this child is the icing on the cake. She is the apple of my eye. Her name is Brandy. And doesn't that just figure? You know, I'm like... And she walked up to me at the airport, and, and she said, are you my grandma? And I said, well, yes, I am. And she said, you know, you're my favorite grandma. And see, that's what I want to hear. That's the stuff I strive for. And I said, Brandy, why do you say that? You don't even know me. And she said, because you wear ribbons in your hair, and grandmas don't wear ribbons in their hair. And I thought, well, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but I'll take whatever I can get here. And I flew her out to California several years ago to give me a cake at one of my AA birthdays, and she flew out from Nebraska by herself. And I thought she'd be terrified being in that airplane by herself. But I was wrong about that. She got off that plane like she owned it after sitting in the cot with the pilot the whole trip. And I knew I knew I was going to be in bad, bad trouble because this little girl never shuts her mouth for two minutes, you guys. And I'm not used to being on little kids, and they drive me crazy real quick. And I said, Brandy, do you have to be quiet? You're giving me a headache. And, and she said, Grandma, I have a lot to say, and if you don't like it, take some aspirin is what she said to me. I think that we have a prospective member of Alcoholics Anonymous on our hands there. I hope I'm wrong about that. I stood in Lincoln, Nebraska five years ago in January. I looked at my second grandchild, a beautiful baby boy that was born to my son and his wife. And I got to tell you guys that tears were graduated on my cheeks because I should not have been standing there. And I stood in Lincoln, Nebraska four years ago in January. I looked at my third grandbaby, another beautiful baby boy that was born to my son and his wife. And one more time, the tears were rolling. I stood in Lincoln, Nebraska two years ago in January. I looked at my fourth grandchild, a beautiful baby boy that was born of that alcoholic son of mine and his wife. And one more time, the tears were rolling. And six months ago, last night, I had a beautiful granddaughter born in Lincoln, Nebraska. Her name is Hannah Rose. I got the honor of naming that little girl. And I'll guarantee you one thing. Nobody was asked to name grandbabies 14 years ago, I got to tell you. And matter of fact, there wasn't any grandbabies 14 years ago, but nobody would ask me to name them, I got to tell you. And, you know, things with my family are so good today, you guys, I cannot even believe it. It is a truly a gift from Alcoholics Anonymous, I got to tell you. And I want to share with you what happens to me every Thursday morning of my life. I think it's very important that I do that and stuff. You know, my little grandson, I have the most beautiful little grandson in the world. His name is Ryan. And, and Ryan gets on the phone and calls Grandma long distance every Thursday morning. And he's not supposed to do that, you guys, i got to tell you. And there's a, a ladder in his mom and dad's kitchen. The phone's on the wall. And the phone's on the wall for a reason, i got to tell you. Because Ryan makes long distance phone calls. And, you know, he's been calling me for a couple years and stuff. And, 
And this, I find myself running home from work on Thursday morning and stuff. I work the night shift. And, and this is what he says to me. He says, Grandma, this is Ryan. I love you. Goodbye. You know. And, uh, and he did that for a long, long time. And what a gift, you guys. What a gift and stuff. And I just sit there and cry. I got to tell you, I, I just would sit there and cry. And, and finally, his dad mom got wind of all this. And I said, Mom, he cannot be doing that anymore. That is not being, you know, we cannot let him do that. And I said, oh, let him call his grandma. You know, I spent 25 bucks a month for two years. Is that where that money came from? And I said, yeah. I said, let him call me. And they said, no, that, it's not what he's going to do. But he can clean, clean a bookshelf every Thursday morning. And we'll let him call grandma and he can talk for five minutes and stuff. And so that's what we do now. We've been doing that for, for several months now. And, and he just chatters like a magpie, i got to tell you guys. And, and I just love that little boy. And... I'm going to get to go back to Nebraska in a couple weeks here and see my grandchildren. I've not seen my granddaughter yet and stuff, and, and I've seen pictures of her, and she is gorgeous, let me tell you guys. I can hardly wait to get my hands on her and stuff. But anyway, like, like I said, things are so good I cannot be, begin to even believe it, and I thank you for that, i got to tell you. But, you know, when I was growing up in Nebraska, I was a disruptive jerk, let me tell you. Always in trouble, always kicked out of classrooms. I hated discipline. I was very, very rebellious. I literally hated people telling me what to do. And I like it even less today, if you want to know the truth. And, you know, I never felt like I belonged anywhere. And I hear that a lot from AA podiums. And I'm right on with that 125%, I've got to tell you. You know, I really don't remember my first drink, you guys. But I can tell you that I hope to God I never forget my last one. And I hope it was my last one. But I remember what alcohol did for me from the very beginning. It made me feel like I belonged. And I could be anything I wanted to be. I could do anything I wanted to do. I drank at any given opportunity after that. And I was probably about 13 years old. You know, I realize that I'm in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous this morning, and I honor your podium. I did myself as an alcoholic up here. I used a lot of drugs, too. I didn't pay that a small part of my story. My sponsor encourages me to do that. And, you know, when I was growing up in Nebraska, there just wasn't a lot of drugs on the street. But I'll guarantee you I found every single one of those drugs. And, you know, there was some marijuana and speed and stuff. And today, if you get caught for possession of marijuana, you get a ticket. Big deal. When I was growing up, you went to prisons, what happened to you. And that didn't scare me. Nothing scared me. Everything I wasn't supposed to be doing. I'm one of these alcoholic females, and I hate to say this from an AA podium, but it's precisely the way that it was for me, and we're supposed to tell the truth up here. That if you pat me on the head, my pants fall off is what happens to me. And I, and I, got, and I got myself into a lot of trouble when I was growing up. I absolutely love men. I love everything about them. You know it about and I love it about them. They've been the downfall of my entire existence, and they remain the same today, I'm sorry to say. And I... I uh, I particularly like sick men, and there's a room full of them here this morning. I can just feel it, you know. That's a, one thing I love about Southern California. It's got so many sick men, and I'm just entertained around the clock 24 hours a day. And I'm, a, I'm getting aged now. Girls with silver-haired men are starting to become very attractive to me, which opens up a whole new ball game. i got to tell you. Those young ones are nice girls, but sooner you get to talk to them, and they ain't got nothing to say I want to hear, i got to tell you. And, and I'm sure that I have nothing to say they want to hear either, but i got to tell you guys a funny story of, I was in Nashville, Tennessee about three years ago giving a talk, and one of the fine ladies of Nashville, Tennessee walked up to me afterwards, I want you to know, and this woman says to me, she says, you're disgusting, and she wasn't kidding you guys, she meant every word of it, and, and I said, lady, from where I come from, being disgusting is a step up, I can assure you. Yeah. <laughs> Furthermore, if I wanted you to sponsor me, I'd flown to Nashville and asked you. You know, I hear some women give this podium, you guys, and I wonder if they ever drank, I really do, I... What if they do all their drinking in one room and somebody would shoot it to them to the keyhole with an eyedropper? You know, I was out there big time. I got myself into a lot of trouble. I've been taught to share that for the Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I offend anybody in this room this morning, I would never offend anybody in the program that saved my life, i got to tell you. And besides that, my book tells me, and this is my favorite part of the big book, it says, cling to the thought that in God's hand your dark past will be the greatest possession that you have. And it goes on to say, because you can literally divert death and misery for others. 
And I've had it to be very, very true in my sobriety. So if I see anybody in this room here this morning, I don't want to hear about it afterwards either. But anyway, uh, I got pregnant when I was 16 years old and I had to get married. And as it must be, I married an alcoholic. Don't most alcoholic women, I go for colorful, exciting men that beat the hell of you and all kinds of stuff. And he wasn't even a man, you guys. He was only 17 years old and I was 16. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't take care of a baby, nor did I want to take care of a baby. And before we knew it, we had two babies to take care of. And I could find out what caused all that, and I put a halt to it, I'll guarantee you that. And, I, and that caused me a lot of trouble throughout the years. And as it must be, I married an individual that refused to work, that drank on a daily basis, and he used to come home and beat me up on a daily basis. And I had never seen a man hit a woman before in my life, you guys. I'll guarantee you one thing. If my dad would have laid one hand on my mom, she'd have knocked him from here to the moon, i got to tell you. And, and I pretty hate this guy very, very much. And I'm not blaming him for my disease, so please don't get me wrong. It's just part of my story, and I need to share it. And, and somebody in that family had to get a job. And I hadn't finished junior high yet, for Christ's sakes. And I found a job as a nurse's aide at the hospital there in Nebraska. And the magic was put in Karen's life. I literally fell in love with nursing. And I made a plan to myself. I would love to go to school, and I'd love to become a registered nurse. That's what I would love to do. You know, they say that alcoholics don't have willpower. And I'm here to tell you this morning from this podium that that is a bunch of crap. I have more willpower than 20 elephants. When I want to do well, I'm going to do well. I don't have any willpower as far as my disease goes. When I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And I went back. I finished junior high. I finished high school. I went to college full-time for three years, and I worked full-time for three years. And I'm talking about 18, 20 hours a day, you guys, and it is hard stuff to do. I did not drink, not use any drugs during this period of time. And at the age of 27 years old, I became a registered nurse. And if you think I'm proud to stand here this morning and tell you that I got jerked in front of the State Board of Nursing in Nebraska, and they told me, you are a disgrace to your profession, you're a disgrace to nursing, you're a disgrace to medicine, and you're no longer working because we just jerked your nursing license. If you think I'm proud of that, you are sadly wrong. You guys, I love my profession. I really, really mean that. And I would never do anything to jeopardize the people that I take care of, nor the people that I work with under ordinary circumstances. And what I have to tell you this morning is a story about how I threw it right down the toilet so I could drink. And that is total insanity. It's also called alcoholism. At the age of 27 years old, I divorced this man. And girls, i got to tell you that a whole new world opened up to me, and it's called men and alcohol. And I went absolutely hog wild is what I did. I was engaged eight times during that divorce. I never did marry these people. Two of them died from alcoholism, for Christ's sakes. You know, I don't know anything about social drinking. I drank, ran with alcoholics, and we do indeed die from this. And at the age of 27 years old, I went to work in surgery at a hospital there in Nebraska, and I had that job for 19 years. I love working in the operating room. I love taking care of those patients. It's a colorful, exciting nursing position. I drank, ran around with medical people mostly. They were colorful, intense people. They worked hard, and they played hard. And I need to tell you that the instance of alcoholism amongst my profession is tremendously high, and that'd do a lot for your security level if you're going to have surgery next week. It has to be very, very true. And, and those people are so grateful that I'm sober that they can't see straight. And I'm talking about alcoholics is what I'm talking about. You know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says clearly that we're to tell in the general way what our drinking was like. And you're going to get the general idea real quick about what my drinking was like. You know, I love to tell this story. I can tell you about my drinking in five seconds flat if you want to know the truth. Many, many years ago, I was at a little concert in upstate New York called Woodstock. And that's exactly what my drinking was like. That Woodstock they had two summers ago was a piece of crap compared to the one I went to, i got to tell you. There will never be another Woodstock, trust me on that. And I was up there with a medical team of people. We were supposed to be working and covering this concert and stuff. And, you know, the state of New York got when they're going to have this big event. And they told these people, if you don't get medical coverage, you're not having this concert. And so they started hiring people from the Midwest because they thought we'd be more responsible. And we were a seedy lot, I can assure you. And I was the first alcoholic to sign up for this nightmare. And so I know the drunk nurses I ran around with to join me. And we made about 80 residents from the East Coast. And there we were at Woodstock. And, and they gave, gave us all $14 upfront money. And we 
spent our money by the time we got there, so we really weren't interested in doing too much work, i got to tell you. And we had a little hospital in that back lot of woods, like a semi-park back there, and I don't recall being that semi the entire week. I really can't tell you much about the whole week if you want to know the truth at all and stuff. And i never seen so much alcohol in one place in my entire life. You could have floated a battleship out there with no problem whatsoever. And, and the drugs, it was like a candy store, let me tell you. And everybody was sharing, you guys. We shared our narcotics with everybody in the whole goddamn place, i got to tell you. And by the end of that week, we couldn't find narcotics. We couldn't find narcotics. We probably sold them is what we did. But I really can't tell you that much about it. But I do remember it was like to stand in front of the stage at night that Richie Haven sang Freedom and Joe Cocker and Country Joe and Santana, those groups that I love. I come from the roaring 60s, you guys, and I love rock and roll let me tell you and things not changed in my life in a tiny bit i gotta tell you i loved elvis presley and janice joplin was my lady let me tell you wouldn't janice joplin have been a fine member of alcoholics anonymous you guys i'd have hung out with janice let me tell you i'd have traded janice for clancy any day of the week if you want to know the truth but don't tell him that i said that and stuff i'm just kidding i wouldn't trade my sponsor for anybody in the whole world i really mean that but you know drinking for me at one time was a fun fun thing it'd be a life for me to stand this morning and say anything but that but I cannot remember the fun, I remember the pain that it caused me. And it almost cost me my life. And like I said earlier, I'm truly grateful that I'm 14 years sober. And I'm going to give you a quick, couple, quick drinking stories and get my recovery here. You know, I love the horse races. I love everything I'm not supposed to be doing. And I've been to horse races in Omaha, Nebraska, where Scott lives with a couple of nurses that I worked with. And, and the girls told me, they said, Karen, the horse race had been over with for three hours. We're all drunk. Let's go back to Lincoln. And I said, well, run along. I've met two guys from Council Bluffs, Iowa. And these guys want to take me to a party. And by God, I was going. Like I said, you pat me on the head and I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. And I really can't tell you much about this party, nor is the, guy, the guys that I was with. I just know that I woke up out of a blackout on Highway 2 by Palmyra, Nebraska, a little bit town of about 200 people. And I found out something very interesting about Palmyra, Nebraska, that they take a dim view of naked women walking on their highways. I found that out. And there I was at 2 o'clock in the morning walking stark naked down the highway in my high heels carrying my purse. And it was February in Nebraska. And it's a tad bit nippy out there in February, Nebraska, to be doing that. I know why duck, duck's feathers freeze this morning, I can tell you. And of all the luck, the first person I ran into was a highway patrolman. And, you know, where I'm from in California, the cops have a partner. They, and we're in Nebraska, they travel by themselves and stuff, and they're not quite that smart, I guess. And, and this guy stopped his squad car, and he rolls down his window, he turns on his siren, and he looked at me, and he said, what are you doing? And I thought, well, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's quite obvious what I was doing. And he said, lady, you get in this squad car and you sit down and don't you touch me. Well, you know, one thing about a person like myself, every time I'm in trouble, I'll do one thing more to make it worse every single time. And I looked at this cop and I said, I'm not getting in your squad car because you might try and rape me. He said, lady, I wouldn't bet any money on it. You are absolutely disgusting is what you are. And I'm here to tell you guys that that made me mad than anything was going on to show you how sick I was. And i got to tell you guys a funny story real quick. You know, my tracker with the highway patrol has not been real good in my life, i got to tell you, but it's improving. I want to share a story with you that happened to me recently. Uh, about two months ago, I worked the night shift, and I was coming from work in the morning on the Santa Monica Freeway in L.A., and, and I had really worked hard that night, and I was in no mood for anybody's shenanigans. I just wanted to go home and go to bed. I was just exhausted. And, and this motorcycle highway patrolman pulled up alongside of me, and he was waving at me. And, you know, we have a lot of weird cops in L.A., i got to tell you guys. And, and, uh, and I thought, I don't even know this guy. What's he? And I thought, I need to get away from this man and stuff. And, and so I kind of sped ahead of him and stuff, and he pulled me off on the next off-ramp. And, and, uh, and he had his siren on and stuff, and he walks over the side of my car, and he takes off his helmet. And this is what he says to me, you guys, and I about died laughing, let me tell you. He said, Karen, I'm sick of being out in the valley. You come out and be one of my speakers one night. And I thought, how... I said, why don't you call people on the telephone? That's what most people do. And, uh, he said, because this is more fun, that's why. And, and, uh, 
And I said, well, I don't have my calendar with me. And he said, well, I have to give you a ticket. And I said, well, when do you want me to come? You know, and, uh, and he said, uh, does your sponsor take this off ramp? And as a matter of fact, I know that Clancy doesn't. My eyes lit up like firecrackers, I got to tell you. And he said, what time does he take it? And I said, probably about 10 o'clock in the morning, if I recall. And, and so anyway, I talked to my sponsor later on that morning. And, and Clancy says to me, he said, let me tell you what happened to me this morning. And I said, well, let me tell you what happened to me first. And I told him, he said, did you give that guy my name? And I said, no, that's true. I gave him his off ramp. <laughs> Only an A does that happen, I got to tell you and stuff. But I want to share that story with you. But anyway, this... This cop in Nebraska had to get this matron out from the Palmyra, Nebraska City Jail to come out there and get me. And that woman was not pleased, I will guarantee you. They were very busy at that downtown jail, not have time for this foolishness. And I went downtown booked for indecent exposure, for assault and battery, for kicking his windshield, for hitting her, for hitting him. All the delightful little annex that we pull as practicing alcoholics. And I will never forget how humiliating it was to be in that courtroom. The very next morning, when my brother-in-law, the public defender in Lincoln, Nebraska, who was working down there that day, and I did not know he was there, came walking up to me. And he said, Karen, have you lost your marbles or what? Why would you do something like this? And you guys, I looked at my brother-in-law, and I was to say this to many, many people in my drinking career in many, many courtrooms. I said, oh, for Christ's sakes, Dennis, this could happen to anybody. You know, and, and we all know better than that. And, you know, that cost me about $3,000 to get out of that, and I just shirked it off like it was no big deal. If you're going to drink these things, are going to happen occasionally, so what? I will never forget what it felt like to wake up in the very hospital that I worked at in surgery. One more time in their emergency room. One more time I've been to the horse races. You know, for a number of years I thought the horse races were my problem. It certainly was not my drinking. I'm one of these alcoholic females with a big mouth when I drink. And I have a big mouth in sobriety, but I can tell you the pain is the teacher here. It's getting a lot better. And I'd smart some guy at that horse race track and he belted me right in the teeth is what he did. And, and a plastic surgeon was standing over me putting 18 stitches in my mouth. And I'll never forget what this doctor said to me, you guys, as long as I live, I'll never forget this. He said, Karen, we love you so much. You are such a good nurse and stuff. What is wrong with you? We think you're an alcoholic. Let's send you to a treatment center and get this drinking problem taken care of so you can get on with your life here. And you guys, I could not believe the audacious man had it. He would say that to me. And I said, just fix my lip and get out of my face. I'll drink if I want to drink. And that's exactly what I did. And the drunk driving charges and the bad checks, all the stuff that we eventually do. My kids were in trouble. I never could marry these guys I was engaged to. They kept dying from alcoholism. And, and I thought to myself, I need to get married to my ex-husband again. That's what I need to do. The kids need their father. Besides, I need to get even with him for all the things that he's done to me. And those are not very good reasons to get married again, i got to tell you. And I'm certainly not proud as I stand here this morning. You know, if anybody in this room's thinking about getting married to the same person twice, don't do it. You're going to be sorry. The only way I can describe this is like taking a bite out of the same turd twice, if you will. You know. That's why they don't like me in Tennessee, folks. You know. And I danced that man through three of the most miserable years of his life on the face of this earth. And, and I love to tell you guys this story I'm about ready to tell you. And my sponsor always tells me that is not funny, and you should not be telling that from AA podiums. And I always say, okay, I won't tell it anymore. And he said, no, go ahead and tell it. And let those people see how sick you really were, and apparently how sick you really still are. And I'm still sick, and I still think it's funny, and I'm telling the story. Uh, when I married him again, I told him, I said, if you ever hit me again, buddy, I'm going to kill you the next time you hit me. And he said, I'll never hit you again ever. And I said, you better see that you don't. And he lied is what he did. And, and he came home drunk one night, and, and I happened to be sober this night for some reason, and I'll never know why, because I usually wasn't. And girls, you know what guys do when they come home drunk. They want to take you to bed and stuff. And I was not buying it. If there's anything I can't stand at some drunk man mauling me when I'm sober. And, and uh, <laughs> I will say when the shoe's under the foot, though, it's fine with me. And 
And that guy came home and indicated that to me, and I said, you get your hands off me and leave me alone. I wanted nothing to do with him, period. And he broke my arm is what he did. And I'm here to tell you guys that I was pissed. Make no mistake about that. As a matter of fact, I'm still pissed about it, if you want to know the truth. And, and I told him, I said, you go to sleep on that couch, and so help me, God, when you wake up, you're going to wish you'd never been born. And he sat up for hours, you guys, with his eyes pried open. And, you know, as it must be, he finally passed out. And I started drinking martinis, and this is a classic example of what alcohol did for me. Alcohol told me what to do. I didn't tell it what to do. And I had about eight, ten martinis, and I was feeling no pain, I can assure you. And I was sitting there watching this guy. And I hate to tell you what this man was doing, but I can't tell you the story unless I tell you what he was doing. He was laying on the couch playing with himself. And I thought, you disgusting man, you make me sick to my stomach. And the more I drank, the madder I got. And you guys, you know, I'm a nurse and I'm very familiar with male anatomy. And, and uh, I'd be very familiar with male anatomy if I wasn't a nurse, you know. But anyway, I thought to myself, what can I do to get even with this guy for all the things that he's done to me? And I came up with this brilliant idea in my drunken stupor. That's one thing that we should never do is drink and think at the same time, I gotta tell you. And this was many, many years ago, you guys, when Superglue first came out. Mrs. Bobbitt has nothing on me, I can assure you. I was a foreign before she ever got started, and I knew that stuff worked very, very well, because my kids were plastering the house that wasn't moving, and I got that super glue out, and I read the directions on that super glue, and like I said, I was drunk, and I wasn't seeing very clearly, and what I thought those directions said were, if this hits human skin, you read it off within 15 hours. Now, why would it say something stupid like that? What it said was, in fact, if this hits human skin, you read it off within five minutes is what it said. And I went over this man, I poured super glue all over this guy's groin. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> and I meet everywhere. I get so excited when I tell this story, I could just do it all over again. You know, but there was not one place this man did not have super glue. And I laughed about it and I went to bed. And I, and I woke up in the morning to screams of horror like you cannot even believe in. And I'll tell you what happened to my ex-husband. This guy never had the advantage of being circumcised when he was born. And now he clearly was, I'll guarantee you. And, uh, and we had a telephone by our bedroom, our bedroom there in Lincoln. And, and he called the police and the cops right in front of our home with their sirens going. There was an ambulance out there. The neighbors were gawking out of their windows. And, you know, one thing... <laughs> so sick I am so sorry that I have to like I tell this story all the time sometimes I don't even laugh but for some reason this morning everybody's looking at me like oh but anyway the cops were in front of her home and stuff and the neighbors were gawking out of their windows and you know one thing you guys got to keep in mind here they do not see things like this happen in Lincoln, Nebraska in California it wouldn't surprise me one bit but certainly not there and, and the cops were laughing which let me be the whole thing was funny and they said, lady, are you crazy or what? Why would you do something like this? And you guys, I looked at those cops and I said, what makes you think that I didn't anyway? I was only, I was only standing there with glue on my hands for Christ's sakes. And, and they said, you're under arrest for assault and battery. And I said, you cannot arrest wives in Nebraska for assault and battery against their husbands. I knew better than that. And two days later when I got out of jail, I guess I didn't know better than that. And I, and they took that man to the very hospital that I worked at in surgery, and he had to have surgery. One more time, the whole staff saw what Karen did, and they took me to jail, I might add. And 
turned out to be a terrible, terrible thing. Those doctors there in Lincoln couldn't get that glue off, and they had to get two surgeons down from Creighton University Medical School in Omaha, Nebraska to get that glue off. And, you know, there's a paper written about that at Creighton, and even in this room's thinking about going to medical school there, you can read about it if you want to. Uh, I'd always wanted a paper written about me, but not like this, i got to tell you. And, and I was sitting in that jail thinking to myself, I am getting the hell out of this marriage, because when this guy comes home from the hospital, he's going to glue something to mine shut, and he would have, too, i got to tell you. And, uh, and God only knows I couldn't have that happen. And, uh, and I divorced that man one more time. And I will tell you guys on the brighter side of things here this morning that Alcoholics Anonymous really does work. Because we have an amends step in this program. And my sponsor made me get on an airplane and fly to Sacramento, California and make amends to my ex-husband where he currently is with his new wife and stuff. And I tried to tell my sponsor I'm not sorry that I did that. Therefore, I have to make the amends. He said, I don't care whether you're sorry or not. Get on the airplane and get there and do what I'm asking you to do. And maybe one of these days you will be sorry. And I don't need to tell anybody in this room here this morning that when that guy sees me, he kind of backs up, let me tell you. But we were able to, we were able to sit down and talk and stuff. And I made my amends to that man. And I will tell you guys that I walked away from that man. I was free what I had done to him. I was free of being married to him twice. And I will tell you the promises in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous started coming true in my life when I made those amends. So I know that this thing works. You just got to do it for it to work and stuff. And, and I also want to share with you what's happened is a direct result of me making amends to that man. You know, you guys, if you want to know the truth, my ex-husband and I are still very much in love with each other if you want to know the truth. But I will tell you, there will not be a third time in my lifetime. You know, we are totally incompatible, i got to tell you. If that man told me the sky was blue, I'd argue and say it was purple. i got to tell you, that's just the kind of relationship we have and stuff. But we still care very much about each other and stuff. And, you know, when I saw him that day, I made amends. Oh, my, my heart was in my mouth, let me tell you. And I thought, oh, God, how can I still be feeling this way about this man and stuff? And, and he felt the same way. We talked about that and stuff. And he said, why don't you spend the night in Sacramento tonight? And I thought, spending the night here? That's not what I'm supposed to be doing up here. And I only have to explain to my sponsor that I just went to bed with a married man, i got to tell you. But, and uh, he said, well, you know, it doesn't make any difference. We were married. And I thought, yeah, it does make a difference. You're a married man, you know, and I know better than that and stuff. But, Anyway, you know, I made my amends to him, and, you know, I told my kids a long time ago, quit talking to me about your father. They've tried to get us back together for years, you guys, and I finally tell them to just leave it alone and stuff. And so I hadn't heard very much from my kids about their dad for about five or six years, and, and I got a phone call from him about three years ago and in Venice, California. He said, Karen, I can't quit drinking. What do I do? And you guys, I about fell off my chair in Venice, California. I'd be the last person in the world he'd ever ask for any advice, i got to tell you. And, and I found myself quickly wanting to get on an airplane and go up to... Sacramento managed the whole thing, and, and AA kicked in for me big time, and I found myself saying to this guy, why don't you call Sacramento AA, that's what you need to do, and, and I gave him two phone numbers from the finest people I know in AA up there, and, and I didn't hear any more, much more about it and stuff, and, and last May on my AA birthday, I got a dozen red roses from this guy, and this is what the card said, and nobody but AA members say this kind of stuff, you guys, he said, happy AA 14th birthday, and I thought, my God, how does he know that I'm 14 years sober and stuff? And anyway, I talked to Clancy, and I said, really, need to send him a thank you note. And he said, you stay away from him. He is a newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous. You stay the hell away from him. That's the last person in the world he needs is you back in his life and stuff. And, and I found out that he was separated from his wife, too, but I forgot to add that. And, and uh, So I did what my sponsor asked me to do and stuff. And, and last October, I was speaking in Sacramento, and I got a phone call from my ex-husband. And he said, you're going to be in Sacramento next week speaking, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, I am. I said, how do you know that? And he, he said, what's on an AA flyer up here? And I said, how did you get a hold of an AA flyer? He said, Karen, I've been sober almost three years in AA, and I have a sponsor and everything. And you guys, you know the best part about that that I want to share with you, that I do not hate that man anymore, and I wish him well. I really mean that. I wish him well. That is what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me and stuff. And he said, I'm going to be at your talk tomorrow night. Do you care if I come? And I said, no, please do. And 
And he was there with his sponsor. He sponsors three men up there and stuff. And it was really weird, you guys, to see my ex-husband sitting there. And he said, please don't tell that story about that glue story. Please don't tell that story. And I said, I wouldn't do that to you, Denny. And, and, uh, and the devil makes me do things, you guys, I can't even explain. And, uh, so the opportunity was right there. And, and I found myself telling my glue story. And he was just sinking right down in his chair. And, and I said, there he is, third row, second seat over. And, uh, and he loved every minute of it. You know how we love attention, you guys. He loved every minute and stuff. But I wanted to share that story with you and stuff. But like I said, I wish him while I really mean that and stuff. And I can't help but think that maybe one day there'll be a chance for us. You know, that's how sick I still am, I've got to tell you. But my sponsor assures me there will not be a third time. Look at the history of this relationship. But, you know, things change in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I know one thing. I'm 14 years sober. He's three years sober. There's an immense difference, let me tell you guys, in that kind of thinking and stuff. But I can still get where he's at real quick if I choose to do so, i got to tell you. But I don't choose to do so this morning, i got to tell you guys. But anyway, I, got, I divorced this man one more time, and I got involved with the most bizarre man I've ever met before in my life. This guy told me he was in the mafia. Now, I don't think anybody in Nebraska is in the mafia, for Christ's sakes. And I was lying to him, and he was lying to me. It was your typical alcoholic nightmare is what it was. I was drinking on a daily basis. I was taking Valium for severe tremors I was starting to have. It was beginning to be no more fun to be doing what i got to tell you guys. You know, I'm a nurse, and I've studied alcoholism. And I knew all about it before I became one. And it shows me one more time here this morning that self-knowledge does not mean a damn thing with this disease. It's action that counts. Nowhere in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous do we have a chapter called Into Thinking. But we do have one that's called Into Action. And that's the only reason I'm standing here 14 years sober, i got to tell you. And, and the day came to me, the hospital told me, we have had all the crap we're going to take off of you. We cannot read about our nursing staff in the paper anymore. Blue and husbands, drunk driving charges, bad checks, all the stuff that you're doing. Everything you do in Lincoln's in the paper, I'm sorry to say. And they knew my game, let me tell you. And they said, you either go into a treatment center or you no longer have this job. Well, you guys, you know what? You don't tell people like me that stuff. And I said, you and what army's going to make me go to a treatment center? And I walked out of a job that I loved more than in the whole world, and I cannot say that enough this morning. And I drank, and I drank, and I died, and I died a thousand times over. I went to work at a nursing home there in Lincoln, and what I'm about ready to share with you guys is something I am not proud to discuss in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I think it's very important that I discuss it here this morning. It took me years in my sobriety before I would ever mention this. I found myself stealing drugs in that nursing home. I was stealing morphine and Demerol and cocaine and Valium, and I'd get my damn hands on. And if you think I'm proud of that, you were sadly wrong and stuff. And, and the day came to me, the people that ran that place came up to me, and they said, Karen, what is wrong with you? You are just weird as what you are. You know, you take good care of the patients, you're a good nurse and stuff, but you're just strange. And I remember thinking to myself, you'd be strange too if you had 200 milligrams of Demerol on board. You'd be strange too. And I threw my narcotic keys at them, and I walked out the door before they fired me. And I went to work at Bryan Memorial hospital there in Lincoln and you guys it's a fine fine facility and I was drunk on that interview and I got that nursing position and I'm not talking about falling down drunk I was just maintaining a certain level of alcohol in my bloodstream that I would not shake and have those violent tremors that is clearly desperation drinking our book describes it vividly and I was in hot water up to my yin yang let me tell you I had to drink I had to take drugs and I had no more choice in any of it and I will tell you guys right up front here this morning the thumb was all of me it was something I had to do and when that happens it's a whole different ball game I gotta tell you the very thought that I might drink again makes the hair on my neck stand straight up, i got to tell you. And that's why I'm an...
I never want to have to go through that stuff again. And, and I kept that job for a short amount of time, doing the same things I was doing at that nursing home, stealing drugs, justifying in my head, I don't mean to do this, I'm not a bad person, I'm never going to do it again. Well, if it never happens for us, we just jump from the fat to the fire here. And, and the day came for me and I got caught red-handed, stealing some morphine in that hospital. And this has got to be, without a doubt, the most humiliating day of my entire life. When they say, you give us your narcotic keys and you get out of this hospital, don't you ever walk back in here again? We're reporting this to the State Board of Nursing Nebraska. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they should have done. My other two jobs should have done it too, as a matter of fact. And to make a long story short for me, I lost my nursing license. I threw the one thing that I loved you guys more than in the whole world right down the toilet so I could drink. And like I said earlier, that is total insanity is what it is. It's also called alcoholism. And to make a long story short and short I'm here this morning, I wound up on the streets of Nebraska is what happened to me. And you guys, I spent two years on the streets. And I have traveled over the Midwest. I've prostituted myself. And I'll guarantee you one thing, that I have seen and done things that no woman should ever see or do. And I'm still so sick in the head sometimes I think to myself, I wouldn't mind seeing some of them again, you know. And my sponsor assures me I'm still a very ill person to be thinking that kind of crap, you know. And I've been in nut houses, I've been in detoxes, I've been in jails, I've been in institutions. I cannot think of a thing that happened to me on the streets as a practicing female alcoholic. Things happened to me I would not repeat from your podium here this morning, but I'm sure that you had the general idea. And two years went by for me, and there I was back there in Lincoln standing on skid row, sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog. And I certainly had better things intended for myself than to be doing that, I've got to tell you. I will never forget that last day of my drinking as long as I live, and I hope to God it was the last day of my drinking. I apparently was so physically sick I just passed down the streets is what happened to me, but before that happened, I remember thinking to myself, there was a Hilton Hotel adjacent to that Skid Row area, and I remember thinking two years ago, I used to stand on top of the Hilton Hotel and drink martinis with surgeons. What am I doing standing on Skid Row drinking with these people? And I rather imagine those folks felt the same way when they arrived there. And like I said, I can't tell you much about it at all. I woke up in an intensive care ward at the very hospital that I was born at, the very hospital I worked at for 19 years. And I will tell you guys clearly that the alcoholic hell for me started the day I got sober. I don't know how many people in this room this morning have been through withdrawal, but I can tell you it is not a pleasant experience, let me tell you. You know, I'm not a very big person. I was coming off a quarter whatever a day and 200 milligrams of Valium a day. I only weighed 95 pounds a day I got sober. And I will tell you that I shook and I shook and I died and I died for 30 solid days. You know, they say that most alcohol withdrawal is over in three days. And Perhaps it is for some people. It certainly was not for me. And I laid in that intensive care ward. I had tubes coming out of my belly. They were draining fluid off my liver. I had IVs going. And I will tell you guys, it was anything but funny, let me tell you. It was anything but funny. Like I said, the very thought that I might drink again makes the hair on my neck stand straight up. And, you know, I'd scream at those nurses and say, you get me some Librium, you get me some Valium, you get me something. This is absolutely inhumane that anybody should have this kind of withdrawal. And they said, Karen, listen to us. You need to fill every one of those tremors and maybe you'll never do it again. And I did not want to hear that, let me tell you. And, you know, let me tell you what these people did for me. They got about 10 members of Alcoholics Anonymous to come and sit with me. And these people never left me day or night for 30 solid days. It was your original 12-step call, let me tell you. And I literally fell in love with these people, and I'll tell you why. There was nobody in my life today I got sober. My family wanted nothing to do with me. They've been through it too many times. They're going to go through it one more time. You guys, my mom, who I loved very, very much, had to be hospitalized because of me and put on tranquilizers. My mom came into my bedside, and she said to me, how can you do this to us? One more time, how can you do this? And my mom was in hysterics, let me tell you. And I have to live with that, you guys. I really do. And although I made amends for that, I think about that every day of my life and stuff. And although my mother is dead, I have to make constant living amends for that woman. And I think I can do that by being a good member of AA and so forth. And 
And, you know, my mom was the last person in my life to leave me. But she had to do that, you guys, to take care of herself, i got to tell you. And they wanted nothing to do with me, i got to tell you. And, and anyway, these people in AA seem to want something to do with me. And, you know, I owe Alcoholics Anonymous a tremendous debt as I stand here this morning, one that I will never be able to pay back, I can assure you. And all I can do is try and pay it back on a daily basis and stuff. But anyway, I fell in love with these people. And they'd say, Karen, just keep breathing. That's all i got to do is breathe. And I'd say, when is this withdrawal going to stop? And they said, when it's time, that's when it's going to stop. And that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted a date is what I wanted. And, and they couldn't give me a date. And they were absolutely accurate about that. When it's time, it's time. And at 30 days of sobriety, I walked in that official treatment program in that hospital. I'm a product of the treatment center. I have no opinion on one way or the other. But apparently, I went to a fine one because all they talked about was Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's a lot of bad ones out there, you guys, let me tell you. And thank God I went to a good one. And, and let me tell you what I was like when I was 30 days sober. I turned on you like you cannot even believe when you started telling me what to do. I used you so desperately on day one, but 30 days later was a whole different ball game. And I walked into group therapy the first time. There was 14 men in that group. And, you know, where I went through treatment, a lot of people got kicked out of treatment for fraternizing. I'll guarantee you that nobody wanted to fraternize with an orange person, i got to tell you. I had no problem at all staying in that treatment center. And, you know, I was the color of oranges. My eyeballs were yellow. And these people looked at me like, my God in heaven, you know. You know, most people don't live to talk about this, you guys, i got to tell you, and stuff. And, and I, you know, that's how bad alcoholism can get and stuff. And this one guy looked at me and he said, you think you're better than everybody else here, don't you? And I made a comment to this man that I was to pay for for a long, long time in that treatment center, one I would not repeat from your podium this morning, I can assure you. And as a direct result of that comment, I found myself in an inpatient 30-day program for seven months, you guys. And that's a long time to be in an inpatient 30-day program. And I completed that inpatient program. And I went to an outpatient program. And I went to an evening care program. And I went to an aftercare program. And I found myself a very, very active member of Alcoholics Anonymous in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I wasn't doing one thing the way that you teach people in AA to do it. I would tell the new people, you don't need to read the book and you don't need a sponsor. We can do what the hell we want to do around here. This is an individual program. And needless to say, I was not real popular with the old timers in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, you know, you guys, the old timers in A are so precious to me as I stand here this morning. But not in 1982. I could have cared less one way that these people thought. And you can pull your crap out here just for so long. And these old timers are going to start nailing you one right after the other. God love the mean old timers in A that he saved my life, I got to tell you. And they are dying off right and left, I got to tell you guys. And they have taught me well. And I be internally grateful. i got to tell you, but this old guy with 29 years of sobriety grabbed me at an AA meeting one day, and he said, come outside, I want to talk to you. He said, you stay away from the new people. How dare you tell the new people in AA, they don't need the book and they don't need a sponsor. He said, you're like a typhoid Mary in AA. Everybody dies around you, but you're able to stay sober somehow. You've been through 19 sponsors in this town, and we've had all the crap we're going to take off of you. And he went on to tell me, there's going to be a man from California speaking in Kearney, Nebraska this weekend. His name is Clancy. And for this man to speak, you're going to ask this man if he will sponsor you. He is a master at dealing with jerks like you. And uh, I heard all that Clancy. I want nothing to do with him, period, i got to tell you. And, and uh, I told this old timer, I said, who the hell do you think you are? that you're going to tell me he's going to be my sponsor now, Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, if you don't get in that car and go with us Saturday, I'm going to tell everybody in Lincoln how you stole money from an AA meeting. And I'll guarantee you, I was in that car going to Kearney, Nebraska. <coughs> and I paid that money back to you, by the way. And i got to tell you guys what happened. The first time I heard my sponsor talk, Scott will remember this. You know, I was sitting, in the, they made me sit in the front row to hear this man speaking, and I was sitting there watching him, and Clancy's an arrogant individual, as we all know, and stuff, and, and I didn't like him immediately, and stuff, and, and uh, Scott's, our dear friend Dick Martin was leading the meeting that night, and Dick got up to introduce Clancy, and, and Clancy's chair got caught on the back of the stage, and he fell off the stage backwards, and I found myself in hysterics laughing and stuff, and, and I thought, my God, you know, what if he got hurt and stuff, but he didn't get hurt, and he got up, and, and he got to the podium, and this is what he said, you guys, and I'll never forget this, he said, a newcomer would have gotten hurt in a fall like that, you know? <laughs> 
And I literally fell in love with this man, I gotta tell you. And I will tell you guys that from a podium in Kearney, Nebraska, that Clancy literally, and I mean literally, put the magic of alcoholics Thomas in my life. And my life has never been the same since that talk. And there's a reason for that. For the first time in my sobriety, I was identifying with another alcoholic. And as I understand Alcoholics Anonymous, that's what this thing is all about. I know of no finer speaker in the world than my sponsor. I'm not saying that you need to believe that. It's only important that I believe that. And but in that talk, I wanted that man for my sponsor. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how God works in Karen's life. I never would have asked that man to sponsor me in a million years. Trust me, I would not have asked him. And I found myself walking across that convention floor and asking that man to be my sponsor. And he looked at me and he said, I don't sponsor crazy people like you. And that's a lie anyway. He sponsors people crazier than I ever thought of being. And, and I thought to myself, why'd he say that to me? You know, I, I didn't know, wasn't aware that he even knew me and stuff. And, and I wasn't you know, aware of the fact this old timer called him two weeks prior to him coming to Nebraska and asked him if they brought me, if he would talk to me. He said, of course I will. And he knew my game, let me tell you. And I was standing in my little white dress on my little white gloves on acting like an angel. And he saw right through my crap I got to tell you, and thank God he saw through my crap. And he said, Karen, I don't like to sponsor people on a long-distance basis, but I'm going to do this for you. Because if I don't do it for you, you're probably going to go die somewhere. But he said, I'm going to tell you something, little girl, and you better listen to me real good. Because I'm going to say it one time and one time only. You're going to call me today. I tell you not to call me every day. You think it costs too much money to call from Lincoln to L.A.? You better get two jobs because that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to sponsor people. You're going to become an active Bible member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're not going to argue with me. You're not going to defend your actions to me. You're going to do what I ask you to do. And if you don't want to do that, then get yourself a different sponsor. And you guys, you want to talk about we stood at the turning point. This is the day when my recovery really did begin in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said two words that I almost fell over when I said them. I said, yes, sir. I never would have told that man, yes, sir, in a million years. Trust me, I told him. One more time, God working in Karen's life. And, and I went back to Lincoln. I became very, very active in A in the right way. I wanted to I sponsored 56 women in that town. I'm not bragging about that. It is not that much fun to sponsor 56 crazy women in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I grew to love those women very, very much. And I'll tell you why. They literally showed me the first four years of my sobriety what to do and what not to do in this program. And every one of those women are still sober today. It's not because of me. It's because they're active, active members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the first directions my sponsor gave me, I want you to get that nursing license back. And I tried to tell this man, I cannot with that kind of humiliation. And you guys, I just sat there and I cried. I said, Clancy, please, I cannot do this. And he's like, they're not going to give it back to me, please, and stuff. And he said, Karen, get up there and ask them for your license back. And I just, you guys, I said, I can't do it. And he said, quit arguing with me and do it or get a different sponsor. That's what I have to be told, you guys. That's the kind of person I am. And, and I found myself at the State Board of Nursing Nebraska, and I asked them for my license back. And they looked at me like I had just grown horns on the top of my head, i got to tell you. And they said, how many links are you willing to go through? And I had to do a lot, you guys. I had to take crap off people for two years that I wouldn't hire my own, my own lawn, if you know the truth. And I had to keep my mouth shut in the process. And one of the happiest days of my life occurred 10 years ago last April, when one more time I was shirked in front of the State Board of Nursing Nebraska. And what they told me brought me to my knees for the first time in Alcoholics Anonymous. They said, welcome home. You're fully reinstated as a registered nurse. And they said, no, 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 no. I had nothing to do with it, let me tell you. You know, the people in A led me right through that, i got to tell you guys. And we were tap dancing in Lincoln, Nebraska that night, let me tell you, and Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff. I'm the first person in Nebraska that ever got their license back, you guys. And let me tell you, it was a pilot program. They told me, they said, you screw up one time, we're never doing it again. You want to talk about the heat being on you. The heat was on me, let me tell you. But I wanted that license back more than I wanted anything in the whole world and stuff. And I didn't miss a day of work for two whole years. I had to do a lot of disciplinary stuff and stuff. I hated every minute, if you want to know the truth. But I completed that. 
And if you're a nurse in this, in this room here this morning, and there's some of us in here, I know because you've talked to me, you will get that license back if you do what you're supposed to do, i got to tell you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Follow your sponsor's direction. You're going to get what you want and stuff eventually. And, but anyway, nobody was happier than me, you guys, i got to tell you, and, which led me to believe that Alcoholics Anonymous really does work and stuff if you take the actions. And, you know, I went out to California to visit a couple of times. I fell in love with Southern California AA. I truly believe, and I know that you do too, that I'm in the mecca of Alcoholics Anonymous in the whole world. And I told my sponsor on the phone one day, I want to move to Southern California. I want to live on that crazy Venice Beach with all those crazy people. You know, I knew I'd fit in like a glove, and I've not been wrong about that either. I want to work at UCLA in the operating room. I want to be on two of their transplant teams, their heart and liver transplant teams. I want this and I want that. And every single one of those things have come true for me, and those are all gifts from AA. I do not deserve any of it, but I intend to take every bit of it, I can tell you that and stuff. And, you know, I want to share with you guys a couple quick stories before I sit down here this morning because I get to relieve them all over again in Alcoholics Anonymous. They're my most two favorite stories and stuff, and I've been asked this weekend by several people to tell them, but I don't, you don't need to worry because I always tell them and stuff. And, you know, early on my sponsor asked me, he said, Karen, where are you at with your spiritual program? I said, Clancy, I don't believe in God. I cannot do that and stuff. He said, you don't have to believe in God. You don't even have to want to do it if you don't want to do it. And he flipped open the big book and he said, but you're going to do it anyway. That's what you're going to do. And he showed me a little paragraph where it says that I get a daily reprieve, constingent, on a spiritual maintenance of the power greater than myself. He went on to tell me there's going to come a day when I can't help you. AA can't help you, and you had better well have a God in your life. You're going to be dead from the disease of alcoholism. And I believe that as I stand here this morning, you guys, because it's happened to me many, many times in my sobriety. And thank God I had a God by the time it happened. And one more time, I said the magic words to my sponsor. What do you want me to do? He said, I want you to get on your knees in the morning. I want you to get on your knees at night. And I want you to pray for God's will. Do not pray for things. Pray for God's will and the power to carry that out. And I started doing that, you guys. And I did that for two years in a row. And I didn't feel any connection with God. I felt like a fool doing it, if you want to know the truth. And every day I talked to my sponsor on the phone. This is when I still lived in Nebraska. And I said, Clancy, this is not working for me. He said, are you staying sober one day at time in Alcoholics Anonymous? I said, well, you know that I am. He said, that's the point of the whole thing. Are you stupid or what? I wasn't playing with a full deck when I arrived here. It took me a long, long time to get these little simple things. And in 1985, I found myself in Montreal, Canada, at the World Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you guys haven't experienced a World Conference, you're going to see this all over again in the year 2000 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's something that none of us should ever miss, and I hope that you all get to go and stuff. I know that I'm going to be there. You know, if I'm alive, I'm going to be there, i got to tell you. And, and I joined from Nebraska with a couple, of nurses, a couple of girls that I sponsored, and they didn't want to go to this thing. And I said, well, you're going anyway, because I couldn't afford to go by myself. And we only had $200 a piece. We had no place to stay. Those hotels were like 100 bucks a night, you guys. i got to tell you, we had to drive that whole way to Montreal. And we had very little gas money. We were just in bad shape, if you want to know the truth. But I was going to that World Conference. If I had to walk, I was going and stuff. And I didn't care if I had to sleep outside. And we got to Montreal. And we went to the convention center. We found an apartment to rent for the whole week for $100. I could not believe our good luck. And I found myself in a great big football stadium at that Friday night meeting. And there was 56,000 sober alcoholics in that football stadium. And I was in awe of Alcoholics Anonymous, you guys, in absolute awe of this program. They were down there in that football field, and they were practicing for a flag ceremony. And alcoholics from all over the world carrying their national flags. And I know this all sounds real hokey to the new people, but the longer I stay sober, the cornier I get for some reason. And, and my sponsor was down there helping them direct that flag ceremony. And I ran down to tell my sponsor hi. And, you know, just people from all over the world now call it mission. You guys, I'm from Nebraska, and I was impressed, let me tell you. And I'm impressed today when I'm people from all the world in AA. And I ran back up and joined my friends, and that flag ceremony started. And I will never forget this as long as I live. I'll never forget this. When the United States of America's flag touched the turf of that stadium, I saw 56,000 sober people go absolutely crazy. And I looked around myself. 
I did not see one dry eye in that football stadium. I saw those old timers sitting around, all the new people and all the people in between. And they all seem to be loving this program so very, very much. And I remember thinking to myself, why can't I feel what these people are feeling? I, too, wanted to love A, you guys, and I could not seem to achieve it somehow. And, and for the first time in my life, I got tears in my eyes and did not try and stop. And for the first time, with any amount of sincerity, any amount of sincerity whatsoever, I said, God, thank you for getting me here. Please help me to stay here. Please help me love this program as much as these people do. And I will tell you guys that I sat in that stadium and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I will tell you that in a foreign country, in a foreign land, I came to believe, just like the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, I came to believe in a power greater than myself by watching and being with the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I really believe the old adage that we see when we're ready to see, we hear when we're ready to hear and not before. But I believe the actions my sponsor gave me to take got me to that point, i got to tell you. And for one solid second, my world stopped. And I remember that woman who was standing on Skid Row in Lincoln, Nebraska, who literally could not get sober, you guys, who literally could not quit drinking. And there she was, three and a half years sober. I personally believe that Alcoholics Anonymous is divinely inspired. How could anybody not believe if you hang around here for a while and stuff? I have talked to that God every day sincerely since, because I believe what my sponsor has taught me. I get a daily reprieve, and that's all that I get. You guys, I work in surgery at UCLA. I have a magnificent job, but it's just a damn job is all it is. My sponsor has taught me that God and A have got to be center core of my very existence. Not some man, not some job, nothing. It's God, A, everything else revolves around that. And I believe that as I stand here this morning. Although I get out of that circle sometimes as a human being, i got to tell you. But I quickly get back in it when I start feeling the pain, i got to tell you. And, and you know, about seven years ago, we had a terrible nurse. I love to tell this story, you guys. About seven years ago, we had a terrible nursing crisis in Southern California. And we were working our butts off, let me tell you. And I was always the first one to complain about it, I'm sorry to say. And this one particular week, I'd work 72 hours. And you were like, we were too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I was a bitch is what I was. And, and, I, and I worked the night shift over there. And I had this one particular night off I want to tell you about. And, and I went to meet early in the evening. I went home and I went to bed early. I was just exhausted and stuff. And, and the phone rang about 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was my boss. And my boss makes Clancy look like a pussycat, I can assure you. And she's one of the finest nurses I've ever before in my life. And one of these days when I grow up, I want to be just like her and stuff. And, and I answered the phone because I've been taught to do what's in front of me, you guys. And clearly the phone rang. I'm to answer it. And I knew who it was. I knew it was UCLA. I did not want to answer that phone. And it was easy enough not to do it, i got to tell you. But I don't want to deal with it later on, i got to tell you. And I picked up the phone and, and it was my boss. And she said, I need some help over here tonight. I know you're not on call. I know you've worked 72 hours. I've got 18 people sick over here tonight. We're going to do a liver transplant with a girl that's about three years old. And I need your help. And I said, I am not coming to work. I am exhausted. I said, for God's sakes, I've been bled white for Christ's sakes. And, and she said, Karen, I need your help. And she hung up on me is what she did. Well, you know, there it was, you guys. What are you going to do? And I was going to call my sponsor, but I don't want to talk to him about nothing at 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and uh, I just went to work. I know what he had told me anyway. Nobody ever died from lack of sleep, Karen. And, and I, have to, I have to say, well, there's a first time for everything, Clancy, you know. And, uh, and I just went to work, and I'm so glad that I did because the most precious thing happened to me I want to share with you. And I got over there, and I sent my orderly upstairs to get our little patient. He brought this little girl down to surgery and stuff. We had a jet coming from the East Coast to deliver for this child. We had some time to kill and stuff. And... And he called me in the back and he said, Karen, you're not going to believe all the people that are with this family. He said, there must be 75 people out here with this little girl. And I thought, how highly unusual at 4 o'clock in the morning. How highly unusual any time, as you want to know the truth. And, and I went out front. And the first thing I noticed was the mother. She had the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen before in my life. And, and the dad was good looking and stuff. And, and there was about 75 people with this family. There would be a tremendous support to this family. And I was drawn to these people, you guys, for some reason. I know why now, but I didn't know why then and stuff. And, and I looked down at my little patient. And i got to tell you guys that Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to love. 
at a level I never, ever, ever dreamt possible myself. And I looked in the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen before in my life. And this little girl was so sick, she couldn't lift her head off the pillow. She was so sick and dying from some strange liver thing. And I remember thinking to myself, you are so selfish, Karen. You didn't even want to be here with this little girl. And I, so all I could think about, and I thought, I'm going to be the best nurse tonight I've ever been before in my life and stuff. And, and she had a little bear in her arms, and she had a blanket wrapped around that bear, and she was hanging on here for dear life, i got to tell you. And, and I'd been over and I talked and I said, oh, you brought your little bear down to surgery. And she had to tell me her little bear was going to have a liver transplant. And I said, oh, you're both going to have one. And she said, no, just the bear. You know, but anyway, <laughs> we sent that family out the waiting room and that mom and dad were in absolute hysterics. I got to tell you guys. And this little girl looked at me and she said, why is my mommy crying? Go tell my mommy not to cry. And because of Alcoholics Anonymous, what I've learned in this program, I was able to tell that little girl the truth. And I said, your mommy's crying because your mommy loves you so very, very much. And that seemed to settle her down and stuff. And, and we put that little girl to sleep. And we have an anesthesiologist at UCLA that loves to play with the kids, you guys. He's a pediatric anesthesiologist. And he's just great. And we all love to work with him and stuff. And, and so when she got her IV, the bear got an IV. And his bag said bear juice and stuff. And, and she loved that and stuff. And, and when the bear went to sleep, she went to sleep and stuff. And, and it seemed to settle her down. And, and, with, and i got to tell you guys that that 16-hour liver transplant did not go well. We almost lost that baby a couple times due to blood loss and stuff. I have never seen a team of people pull together like we pulled together with that baby that night. And 16 hours later, she went up to her room with really not much too hope at all, much hope at all, i got to tell you guys. And we said a lot of prayers over that one, i got to tell you. And, and we were really scared for this little girl's life. And I became obsessed with this child, and I had to see her again. And we have a rule at UCLA. You know, I become involved with these transplant patients. They want to know where the organs come from. We cannot tell them. It's best not to see them after surgery. And I didn't tell anybody in this room here this morning that I'm real good at breaking rules now, aren't I? And, and I thought, I'm just going to go up and see how she's doing. I'm not going to talk to anybody. And when she was six days post-op in that transplant, I walked to that little girl's room. And I opened the door to that child's room. And you guys, I could not believe what was in front of my face. My God, the power of God, the power of God. Here was this little baby girl with the big blue eyes. It was the first time she'd been up since her surgery. She was jumping up and down in her crib. She had diapers hanging around her knees. She had that bear in one arm. And she put Band-Aids all over this bear. He had Band-Aids on his eyes, his ears, his nose, and I mean everywhere. And I just stood in that hall, you guys, and I just bawled. I just stood there and bawled. And that whole room full of people, the mom and dad were in there, the whole room full of people were in there. And I thought, this is not cool to see the nursing staff ball, i got to tell you. And, and something caught my eye out of the corner of my eye. And I'll be damned if our book, Alcoholic Islamist, wasn't sitting on that kid's dresser. Now, if you think I'm going to stay out of that room, I didn't give a damn if I got fired. I was in that room like a flash. And those people know what the hell even hit them and stuff. And I said to the mother, I said, whose book is that? And she said, well, that's my book. And she said, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and so is my husband. And her sponsor was there. His sponsor was there. And those 75 people, you guys, had driven 500 miles to be with this family. They were not from the L.A. area. And they showed me one more time what this deal is all about. It is about love and service, and that's all that it's about. And I was impressed, let me tell you. And I asked the mother, I said, how long have you been sober? And she said, five years today. And I thought, oh, my God, her little girl up for the first time. What a fabulous birthday present and stuff. And I walked over to this little child. And she looked at me and she said, go away. I'm not sick anymore. And I, <laughs> and I was standing in my scrub clothes and it scared the hell of her is what it did. And if I known I was going to go in the room, I certainly would have changed clothes and stuff. And I said, I didn't come up here to scare you. I just came up here to see how you're doing. And you guys, she gave me her little bear. And she said, you take him home and take care of him. He needs a nurse to take care of him. And I told the mother, I said, I cannot take that little girl's bear home. My God, that bear went through this kid's liver transplant. You really need to keep it as a memento. We put that bear in a plastic sack, you guys, and had it by that little girl's head her whole entire time of her surgery and stuff. And she said, Karen, please take it. She wants you to have it. She's got 50 bears 
in this room. And she did indeed have 50 bears in that room. And I felt like a fool walking down the hall with that bear. But I will tell you guys that that bear was my most prized possession in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It got too important to me. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm selfish. That's what I am. And my little granddaughter told me, she said, Grandma, let me, let me have that bear. I want that bear. And I told Brandy the story about this bear. And she said, I'll take really good care of him. I said, Brandy, Grandma, I'll get you another bear. That's my bear. And she said, I want that bear. And I... And I talked to my sponsor, Ben. He said, give her the bear. You know, it gets too important. You got to get rid of it. And I got, I hated that, you guys. And, but she takes good care of that bear. And every time I go home, she has her little girlfriends come over and spend the night. And they all sit in a circle in her bedroom, you guys. And she tells the story about my little liver transplant patient. She doesn't get it quite right, but she almost gets it right. And, and I always stand at the door and I listen. And I stand there and cry. I got to tell you guys, I stand there and cry. But anyway, you know, I thought to myself, I need to reciprocate here. I obviously was not prepared for a birthday party. It was a mother's five-year birthday party. And I thought, I have a five-year medallion in my pocket I forgot about. And the reason that's in my pocket, you guys, is because, you know, there's narcotic keys next to that medallion. And I don't tell anybody in this room here this morning that sometimes I open that narcotic cover, my eyes light up like firecrackers, i got to tell you. And I can grab that medallion remember the hell I'm coming from. And I was seven years sober when this happened. And I've had on that medallion for two years too long, i got to tell you. You know, we say in Alcoholics Thomas that you've got to give it away to keep it. You've got to give it away. And, and my sponsor gave me the medallion, and I couldn't seem to find the woman that was special enough, in my opinion, to give my medallion to. I'm a selfish person, I'm sorry to say. And I knew I'd found my woman, let me tell you. And I gave her my medallion. She said, Karen, I can't take that. My God, Clancy gave you that. I said, no, I want you to have it. And I really meant that, you guys. I really didn't. The nurses got wind of all this. We got a cake for the mother, and we celebrated her five years of sobriety. And I got to tell you guys, it was one of the most magnificent days of my whole life, I got to tell you. And I got my sponsor on the telephone. It happened to be Wednesday, the night of my home group and stuff. Within three hours, Clancy had 50 cars in front of UCLA. And I cannot begin to tell you how proud I was to take those people to my home group and Alcoholics Anonymous that night, the Pacific group. There's been no more contact with them. It's going to be that way for many, many reasons. But I know that little girl is doing very, very well and stuff. You guys, you know, people say to me all the time, why do you keep doing it, Karen? Why do you keep doing it? And I know of no greater thing to say to them than where our 12th tradition says long form. So that this to the end, that my great blessings may never spoil me, that I may forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. And there's more reasons than that for me. You're the ones that walked me when nobody else would walk with me. You held my hand when nobody else would hold my hand. And you told me that you loved me. And I need you as desperate as I need you in 1982. You've taught me how to live. You've taught me how to love. You've taught me how to keep my pants up on all those things. And I don't, I don't do any of those things very well. But I'll tell you the one thing that I do with 200% absolute perfection, and that is this, that I love you more than the whole world. And it's truly a story from an alcoholic hell I cannot even describe. I have truly been given, just like the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, I have truly been given the keys to the kingdom. And I'm going to say one more thing, and I'm going to sit down here. It has been one hell of a walk from Skid Row, Nebraska, to where I stand this morning in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I think that but for the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous, I would have missed it all. Thank you for having me, and thank you for my life. Hi, everybody. My name is Angie, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. By the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and great sponsorship, I've been sober since June the 20th, 1992, and for that I'm grateful. What an opportunity. Uh, I've talked with my sponsor about this for years, to be able to close out a conference uh, with the song Amazing Grace. And, and I need to tell you that... Uh, this song truly says everything that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous 
and God has done for me. So if we could stand up and uh, hold hands, please. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I. I see, and through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come, and His grace has always See me through, and we've no last days to sing his praise. Then where we we first be. Our Father, who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.